You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from the Mullen Haw Show on 670 The Score. Dan Weeders from the Chicago Tribune covers the Bears and spent Thursday at House Hall after a week. The Bears returned from the bye with the Lions at Soldier Field Sunday on the lakefront. A lot of conversation, Dan. Thursday afternoon, Luke Getze, offensive coordinator. First time he had spoken since the Bears' victory over the Vikings when the passing game was more horizontal than vertical. Let's start there because we'll get into Justin Fields' future and all he had to say. We'll get into Matt Eberflus and his perspective on the weekend, even finish up your thoughts on Kevin Warren. But let's start with Luke Getze because a lot of people had a, uh, a strong reaction to how he explained why the Bears threw 21 passes at or behind the line of scrimmage in a victory of the Vikings. Okay, so first and foremost, I am not familiar with the reaction, which you're going to have to kind of update me on in a minute. I thought that uh, Luke took the topic head on, um, explained some of what we already knew about the Bears trying to combat the uh, pressure, 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 blitz, 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 pressure more, blitz more style of Brian Flores with an extension of the running game being what he called RPO-ish looks for Justin Fields, which uh, he said, I I think he said roughly half of the screens to the perimeter were uh, situations where Justin is trusted to count basically pre-snap and look at the numbers and and figure out if the Bears can outflank the Vikings on the outside and uh, get something going there. Um, I talked to you previously about the reaction of Justin and DJ Moore and Cole Komet coming out of that game against the Vikings and understanding that something had to be done in the chess match to try to loosen things up and to do some things. And that's where they leaned. And, and obviously I think we've established by this point that, that we wish there were some more uh, downfield passes and some things to threaten the, the Vikings vertically. Uh, Matt has 
repeatedly 11 days that, that he was uh, hopeful to get more explosives and that there were opportunities that they missed. And, um, and so I think there, there's, you know, there's nuance to the conversation. It's really easy to get the pitchforks out and chase the offensive coordinator down the block. Uh, and I guess, based on your introduction, maybe that's what some of the folks in the public forum have done. Well, I think there are probably two levels of, of reaction. One is the visceral and people are, yeah, the offensive coordinator is the easiest target in Chicago uh, in most years, in most bear seasons. Um, I, I guess uh, my reaction was that while I understand and reappreciate his explanation, I, I felt like I, I always, I tend to hear two things, themes come through when I hear Luke Getzey explain game plans after wins or losses he is very candid about where the responsibility lies but i i tend to hear two things that are probably unfair reactions but these these are what i heard on thursday not me and i can be out coached so and, and i'll explain that in a second he was very open about the 21 of the 21 passes about half of them or i you know he explained somehow <clears throat> Justin was making the read and he had the decision and the autonomy to make the changes. And, and that's how they ended up being horizontal. And I think you called them extraordinarily horizontal passes yeah. other than passing game. And I thought that is puts the onus on the quarterback rather than, you know, the, the, the game plan. There's that autonomy. And the, the secondary part of what my reaction was that essentially what he's acknowledging is that the Vikings came up with a method to get the bears to change the play to something that was going to be non-threatening and that's coaching and that's schematic, you know, wizardry. And then that's the chess game because whatever the white Vikings were doing to get the quarterback to check the play. So it wasn't a threat down the field worked. So I understand the logic and how he explained it and what he's trying to tell us why it happened. But I still think you're left with why, why are, there's so many ways to make this bear defense even more pedestrian than it is. The bear offense. I think, um, I'm sorry, the yeah, bear offense. you know, Luke did say that, that like he was very complimentary of Justin's ability to, to, uh, recognize. He said, I think maybe only one or two instances where Justin, uh, conceivably saw something that wasn't there and checked to a play that he didn't need to, to do with the, the perimeter screens there. Um, I, I've kind of been consistent on this since the, the morning after the game. This is a one time, game plan in a lot of ways against an opponent that is very unique in terms of what they do and the style that they're playing. Kevin Seifert at ESPN had written a piece recently about how Brian Flores has kind of <laughs> uncorked some things this season that he's never used before in his football career and has, has turned some things loose that other teams have to react to. The Bears didn't have a good offensive game. And, and so certainly that that falls on the coordinator. It falls on the quarterback. It falls on everyone. They were able to, to steal a win out of it, which helps the, the feelings be better. Um, but we're going to fast forward to Sunday really quickly, and they're going to face a Lions team that allows them to do different things. And they're going to have an entirely different style of play. They're going to have an entirely different approach to how they unlock some things. And, and I think that they're eager to – push the ball vertically more and, and do some things in that regard. Look, like we talked the other day about how Justin has now had three consecutive 100 rushing yard outings against the Lions, which tells you that there's avenues there for him as both a scrambler uh, and a, a designed runner to to threaten them. And then, then that opens up the, the, the possibility for play action stuff. And, and you're able to kind of get multiple and diverse really quickly. And so I just I think there's this conversation is going to be very different after this week. I, I, I get it. 
you know, I get the reaction. Um, I just, I, I, I'm still of the camp of, you know, it is what it is and, and they've got to be better in certain areas. But uh, I, I think some of the outrage has been exaggerated and, and probably unfair. Yeah, I don't think I would describe what I feel as outrage. Not, no, not you, not you. I'm talking about the public forum yeah, and, and like the stuff you see. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, you, for weeks now, it's been fire Luke into the sun. You know, sure. on social media and and callers to the score and and everywhere else. And I I, I think sometimes you just got to take a deep breath and see it from the inside a little bit to to understand it and then react from there. I think it's pretty obvious to me that the more he talks and and the more we hear from him, though. The questions about the relationship that I raised probably a month or so ago about just how much in sync these two guys really are, you know, and I'm not even going back to when Justin Fields complained about being too robotic. It does not seem like it's a match made in football heaven. It does not seem like they are that compatible in terms of moving forward because there there does seem to be a semi-regular disconnect. And I don't know, how, I think it's a product of having a losing season uh, in a in a maybe a, a losing organization, but but I do think that it's difficult to see or find that kind of connection between play caller and quarterback that you ideally would like to see because that too often, or maybe not too often, but so often, I'm left with kind of reading between the lines of what Getzi is saying, and uh, more times than not, it, it's it's about quarterback execution, and while that might be accurate, and we appreciate that. It is somewhat unusual to have a quarterback or quarterback's coach or a play caller be that open about whose responsibility it is for things not necessarily working. I like <clears throat> that's the part of the conversation that that like for me it's refreshing, it's illuminating, it's become a, an education in in certain parts of 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 how the machinery works, you know. And and again, everybody's accountable for it, but. I've always bristled at the idea that head coaches in this macho sport feel um, guarded against telling you when players screw up. Because if you're willing to tell your players in a team meeting, like, hey, this is where you screwed up and this is where you're deficient and this is where we've got to get better uh, individually and together, then there should be no harm in, in telling that to the public. This isn't youth sports. This isn't my uh, 10-year-old baseball team you know like that's if that's what happened then that's what happened and and you both have a chance every week to to have your say in the matter and and go that route um on a bigger picture item here i think like you and i both sit here in the first week of december and we say that there, there is less than a two percent chance that both of these guys justin fields and luke getsy will be together uh in 2024 Right. And, and if you agree with that, then it's like, OK, then we're just kind of uh, pedaling the bike until we get to, right. <laughs> to the next no, stage right. of the Tour de France. That's a, good, that's a good point. And this is hardly the Tour de France. The scenery is not as <laughs> beautiful. Um, all right. So let's get to Justin Fields, because his future was broached by by him uh, on Wednesday at House Hall in a series of questions and, and really introspective answers that I thought revealed quite a bit and he may have gone as deep as he has in, in a lot of ways. And, and Dan, I thought he was, you know, he, he sounded like a guy who benefited from the time off. And there's some things that we'll, we'll get into more in terms of specifics of what he said, because I think it's worth people hearing. He expressed similar sentiments in October, uh, but in a more defeated sense, but when the bears were getting steamrolled and they were rolling four and everything was kind of caving in around them. I, I think when he was asked, this week by Herb Howard first and with some follow-up questions about um, just kind of 
insulating himself from the outside noise about his future and the questions that that we talk about twice, three times a week on this podcast about what, where his future lies, what everybody in the outside world is talking about all the time. He offered a very mature and grounded perspective, you know, a, a faith-based perspective that that he has confidence and faith that things will work out okay for him because for the most part they always have even when he's wanted one thing and it's turned into something else a la georgia turning into a transfer to ohio state sometimes it works out for the best for him i will say this like you know we've established this many times before in our discussions that justin's maturity his approach um his unselfishness his thick skin all of those things are are character qualities that that i would sign up for and and pay a heavy subscription for to give to myself, to give to my family members, to give to anyone around me, because he is very admirable in that sense. And he's very mature for his age. And he's very uh, calm in the, the the moment of what he's faced with. And that's to be admired. Now, the other part of that is like, ultimately, you have to excel as a quarterback on the football field for the other stuff to mean more, but it certainly means something. And I think we got another taste of that uh, on uh, Wednesday afternoon. I don't know. I think I have a different mindset in terms of that personal momentum. I'm really just trying to be consistent. I think that's the biggest thing. You can play good one game, play bad the other. So I think me personally, just trying to be consistent and um, you know, trying to be better than I was yesterday. So just trying to continually improve, get better as a, a person and a player, and um, you know, just better myself each and every day. So David, that was the answer that was between kind of the more deeper reflective stuff that Justin gave, but that was also an indicator that that Justin understands in this last month plus of the season that he's got uh, a job to do. And the job revolves around that word that we've talked about for months now. It's consistency. It's showing people that that you can be that playmaker on a regular basis to the point where you're ultra reliable when the game's on the line. What do you think the reaction was in the room when he answered Herb Howard's question about what he's dealing with in terms of the outside noise and Justin's answer mentioned God three or four times leaned on his faith, probably more than he has in the path. He's, he's in the past, he's mentioned it before, but it, it uh, was obviously more pronounced this time. And I think I, I respect, I respect the 24, 25 year old young man who's in the midst of all of he's in the midst of and, you know, being as public about how he's trying to cope with all that he's dealing with. So I don't have a big problem with it. I really never have. Um, some people bristle at that and they think it might be a, too big of a crutch. And he's, you know, using God as a shield at times. And let's hope it, that, that that doesn't um, that that is not what I, I think that's the worst of the criticisms when you hear athletes go yeah. into this area. But like what what did people react to? And do you did you hear him? in your view, go deeper than he has in the past? Um, well, I think the reaction in the room, uh, for starters, David, was appreciative because, you know, like there, there is a uh, an admiration for Justin's willingness to engage. It's not all the time, but it's it's consistent enough to feel to feel good about the back and forth in there. And Mark Grody had followed up with a question about, like, because of all the noise that has circulated this year, have you had to find a – point in time where you have had to lean into that faith more because you you, you need that in, in moments of turbulence and and stress and justin said look like i <laughs> y'all have been at this since uh you know since i got here and and talking about the the media and the fans and people that have been um you know 
critical of him, right? I guess is the best way to put it. And 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 so there's an appreciation, I think, for his ability to handle that. I always appreciated that about Mitch as well. You know, the the uh, Justin said something similar the other day about about not taking anything personally. Great starting point, you know, great starting point for a franchise quarterback to to develop that thick skin and 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 not take things personally. And Justin's been terrific at that. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with the, the faith stuff. I mean, that's that's a personal preference on how right. much to share, whether to share it. And and I, I didn't think it was over the top. And it's it, to me, um, it's not like that's an every week occurrence where you're never getting anything more than than that. And so I, I didn't I didn't really think twice about it when we got up and walked out of that room. Yeah, I think it's probably worth amplifying only because it does reveal, I think, some maturity and strong character. Nothing about Justin Fields off the field has really ever been a concern. It's always been on the field with the mechanics and the consistency and the things and the boxes he has yet to check. And that brings us to what Kurt Warner earlier on 670 score this week discussed, because I really feel like this, Dan. And when I look at Justin Fields, and it's interesting to hear some of these quarterback gurus weigh in on a regular basis because, right. you know, I'm not a quarterback guru. I, I We're not, you know, coaches, but I think that there are certain things that stand out. Justin Fields' footwork can be sloppy. Um, he doesn't have the ball, in my view, where he's always ready to throw it. He does hold on to it too long. A lot of these things might be related. But when experts, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, see similar things, then you start to wonder if they are problems that can be fixed or they're going to be chronic problems throughout his career. So as we get into some of uh, Kurt Warner's sentiments, I think this is notable in, in a couple of regards because, you know, we've talked previously on the podcast about how uh, glowing that Chase Daniel has been uh, <laughs> in his reviews of Justin Fields. And I probably send you two, three texts a week of other quarterbacks that Chase Daniel is extremely glowing about. And we're still waiting for Chase to to uh, to have a, a highly critical uh, session with one of the quarterbacks he analyzes. Kurt, I think, is more along the lines of that real talk uh, where, where you get both sides of it, you get the praise and then you get the criticism when it's warranted. And he was weighing in generally about things he's seeing around the league from quarterbacks. And I thought it, it resonated with a Chicago audience in a lot of different ways. And, and here's the first thing that Kurt had to say in that regard. Uh, unbelievable athletic quarterbacks in our league that can make all kinds of plays and ad lib plays. And, and we fall in love with that stuff. And, and I understand why, because there's only, so many that can do it. But um, but that's the thing that continually jumps out to me every week is that it is very, very hard to live in that world. So if you want to try to live in that world and if you're not able to see what's in front of you and you're not able to take the layups and, uh, and, and understand that you need the guys around you to make the game easier, you're always going to struggle and it's going to be tough to win. And you might win a game or two but you're not going to win a lot of games and you're not going to be successful against the best teams in the league trying to do that. And so it's just, you know, it, it, yeah, there was obviously certain, you know, tapes that I watched or games that I watched where that jumped out more than, than others. But I, I think it's a, it's a natural general theme that I see week in and week out. And it's funny because, um, you know, because we, we talk so much about the other and I think people fall in love so much with the other stuff um, yet I see it every week that if you know how to play and see and, and, and do the things that you're supposed to do, that always is going to give you a better chance to win. 
notable, right? I mean, it's, it's almost an extension of some of the conversation we had earlier in the week talking about the, the, the quarterbacks who feel the position, you know, and see the position as opposed to, to turning loose the, the athletic superpowers that we've seen. And then, and then Kurt went on to, uh, to follow up on his uh, quarterback evaluation and used the one word that the coaching staff at Hal Saul has been using and the one word that we've been using here at Take the North. And he started his next thought with the word consistency. Consistency comes from seeing it, like knowing what you're supposed to do within your offense, uh, knowing what you're seeing defensively, and then making the plays that are in front of you, letting the offense work for you, um, you know, to me is is the biggest key to consistency. Now, that doesn't mean you're always going to have a good game. I mean, I played a lot of football and I played a lot of good football, but there were times that I would go into games and I'd be just be going like, ah, I'm just not seeing it as well today. Now, I knew that was my strength, so I knew I was going to see it well most of the time, but there were games that you just didn't see it as well, or there were games where the ball just wasn't coming out of your hand as well. So you're going to have those games, but to me, that's what it comes back to, the consistency of, of reading a play and getting it to the right guy, understanding when I need to get off a guy and get to the next guy and work through my progressions. If you do that consistently – along with obviously being talented enough to make the throws that you have to make and, and you make those physically consistently, that to me is, is where it's at. That's where consistency comes from. And, and so when we talk about the best guys in the league, that's what they do is they, they make the layups. They know where they're getting with the football. And then they always give you something special, right? They give you the Patrick Mahomes special plays or, or you know, Joe Burrow just – you know, make it an unbelievable play on an anticipation or, or with his accuracy. But that's where it all starts, um, you know, even with those great players. Do you think Kurt Warner, because he is terrific. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad we played that. Do you think Kurt Warner, when he talks about Justin Fields unintentionally, is almost like talking about him in the past tense as as a Bears quarterback? Or do you feel like he talks about him with, you know, there's still – an opportunity here for him because I, he, these guys are so savvy and good that they stay away from declarations. But I just wonder if you're hearing something there that, that may be, you know, not a ton. I mean, I, I think I see opportunity, but I, I think I also see guidelines. You know, I think I see like boxes that, that need to be checked and it just harkens back to conversations we were having you know, 12 and 13 months ago about not just assuming that a certain number of boxes is ultimately going to be checked until a quarterback gets out the Sharpie and puts his X in that box. It's not checked. And so, um, you know, there are boxes on, on Justin's ledger that aren't checked and he's going to have to spend the next five weeks trying to mark those in a way that, that changes the bears mindset or convinces someone else around the league uh, that, that he's worth, riding with and, and, and we'll see, we'll see where it goes, but there's certainly some very specific, straightforward, easy to understand from Kurt quarterback guidelines there that, that, that should be uh should be a steering point for him. Hey everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball has been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. So it seemed like it was big picture day at House Hall on Wednesday because we, from Justin Fields talking about what he's going through and certainly the conversation about his future has been ongoing just as it has been for Matt Eberflus. And Dan, uh, to a lesser degree, maybe, Matt Eberflus uh, had a pretty good moment at the podium talking Wednesday, putting things in perspective, talking about what his mentors told him and the need for wins and losses. And I, I wondered this, it does. It, and tell me again, you're in the room. I'm watching either on my computer or listening on, on the app. Um, so you don't have that context, but do you think he did speak with a more relieved tone? And if he did, do you think it was because, he was getting to be privy to something one way or another about his future. No, I, no, I, I certainly didn't read either one of those things okay. sitting there in that room. I think we're, that if I'm being frank, we're in an awkward stage here because we have five weeks left in a regular season that could be headed for um, significant change when the, when the off season arrives. Now there's again, a chance for at just as Justin has a chance, there's a chance for Matt to, to, write the final chapter in a way that changes the the direction of the the sequel right like right. we'll see where it goes from here but look like i think over time in the two years that i've covered matt eberflus there are certain topics that he is more eloquent and graceful in talking on there are certain topics that gum him up and make him trip and stumble and and you know create a very clumsy uh back and forth exchange i think he was kind of uh, in a series of questions asking him to to do some personal reflection on the patience level he's needed to have. But I th also think like, you know, like we are, you know, one Vikings play 11 days ago from talking about a three and nine football team that pooped another game away. Uh, you know, I'll, contrary, I'll contrary my friend. We are two plays away from them being six and six and in six the hunt, right? Yeah, all, right. All, the hunt. All, the, all the, all these, all oh, these different permutations. Glass is half cracked. I, I have to the, say. The reason I bring it up is because it's just like now all of a sudden, like we talked the other day, the door is open for them to run right. the table and get right. in the playoffs. And, and like, you're just, you're, you're in this weird middle ground in that room of trying to figure out where, you know, you're there five times a week and, and the head coach talks to you on, on, you know, four of those. And, and so you're just, you're trying to, sure. trying to figure out a way to, to, to get us to the point where, where bigger decisions are you're made. Weighing every word with a scale. And, and that's, you just, you're parsing every sentence and you're, you're striving to find some meaning because you know, as we have lived through before, all of a sudden the season's over and boom, things happen fast and well, and you're allowing him to have his say also, right? right. Like, and, and, and share some perspective and thoughts because if he is going to um, state a case for why he should be the bears coach in 2024 and longer, like some of it will come through his words and more of it will come through his actions. And so sometimes it's just a matter of, okay, how are you seeing this? How are you reacting to this? And now what's next? So speaking of what's next, let's keep it away from the conceptual and the hypothetical and let's get into your numbers game and get to our predictions. Let's start with the numbers game, Dan. Every week in the Chicago Tribune and chicagotribune.com, you have a package of numbers 
that help us uh, understand better what to expect Sunday in with the Bears and the Lions. Where do you want to start? A couple I'll of give examples. You, yeah, I'll give you three to start. And the first one is 1,003, that 36-yard reception that DJ Moore had in Minnesota. Pushed him over the 1,000-yard milestone. He is now the 12th. Uh, Chicago Bears receiver and the 13th Chicago Bear overall to reach the 1,000 yard milestone at least once in a season. Moore is ninth in the league in receiving yards. He's on pace for 1,421 receiving yards for the season, which would tie him for second on the Bears all time single season chart with Alshon Jeffrey, who had that same total in 2013. The only player that would have had more than that, your guy. Brandon Marshall, 1,508 yards in 2012, the year before I got back. DJ Moore, uh, I think undoubtedly, uh, it's, it's hard to argue, is their MVP. He's had the best year. He's going to go to the Pro Bowl. I, I think that he should. You look at the numbers and what he means to this team uh, it, it is reflected in the numbers, but also just a consummate teammate. He stepped up and said some nice things about Justin Fields and his growth, and he's been through a lot of young quarterbacks. So that chemistry does matter. So that's a good number. What's the next one? No question about it. Seven is the next number, and that's the number of interceptions the Bears' defense has had over the past two games. We all are aware of how quickly that that faucet has opened for the Bears' defense. Those seven picks in the last two games uh, surpassed the total that the Bears had in the first ten games, which was six. Six in the first ten, seven in the last two. It was the first time uh, the Bears have had seven interceptions in a two-game period since early in the 2012 season, again, uh, a year before I got back on the beat. And that defense, as you would remember, because you would have been at this game, recorded five interceptions off Tony Romo on the Monday night stage in week four of 2012, and then two more the next week in a blowout of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this, uh, I was at that game. I do remember it well. And th- this is a, the spot where we point out that a team that has – seven interceptions in his last two games is playing a quarterback that the last time he played a game at Soldier Field outdoors in December threw four picks for the LA Rams who were shivering their way to a 15 to six loss against the 2018 Vic Fangio Bears defense. I don't know that Jared Goff will struggle to that degree again, but it is fun to remember that um, this is not somebody who's looking forward to playing in the cold. He's a California kid. This is where the whole mythical Bears weather May come into play, but um, you never know. That was a true signature win for that division championship team for sure because they dominated that football game defensively and took Jared Goff apart, and it made a stinker of a performance from Mitch Trubisky not matter because they, they, they so thoroughly dismantled Jared Goff. All right, my last number for you is 140. It's the number of receiving yards that Sam Laporta had in the Lions' win last week over the New Orleans Saints. Laporta had nine catches. Those 140 yards, he had a 13-yard touchdown early. The Lions won, obviously, 33-28. to Laporta is now on pace for 962 yards this season, which gets him in reach of becoming potentially the third rookie tight end in NFL history to get to 1,000 yards in his first season. Uh, most recently, Kyle Pitts did it with the Atlanta Falcons two years ago in a 17-game season. And the all-time rookie receiving record for tight ends in NFL history is Iron Mike Ditka, 1,076 yards. 14-game season, 1961. Well played. That's a good one to use. Uh, Laporta's a problem. And I wonder how the Bear defense is going to be able to handle him specifically on third down. This is the one thing that seems to be I can't quite grasp from a football perspective. I appreciate what the Bears have done defensively, how they rush in the passer. They've improved under Eberflus. They're ninth overall in total defense. 
they're bad on third down statistically. I don't, those two things don't typically, all those things don't go together. If you're good on third down, you're getting off the field, and that typically goes with the defense that's highly ranked in other categories. But, Dan, that's an odd one, and Laporta could exploit that on Sunday if they're not careful. No question. Andre Curtis, the Bears safeties coach, took the podium on Thursday and also talked about just how good Laporta is at using his body and bodying up defensive backs and linebackers and then using that leverage to, to break open. And Jared Goff has found a chemistry with that. It's a lot easier to have a chemistry with that, like that when you've got two really good running backs, a terrific number one receiver, you know, a, a, an emerging uh second-year receiver in Jamison Williams and a couple supporting cast members. So they've got weapons that that uh, allow you to do a lot of things. And, oh, by the way, as you mentioned the last time the Bears played the Lions, that front, that offensive line that the, they bring to the table also makes things a lot easier for all those playmakers that we just mentioned. Hey, Eddie Jackson, Jamison Williams pretty good. So you might want to worry about him. Uh, so Jared Goff can't drop it in the bucket like he did last time. And as Adam Stadzinski points out, Last time the Bears did pretty well against Sam Laporta. Three catches, 18 yards. You wonder what role the previous game plan will play in this attack, in this game for both sides. Ben Johnson, your guy, the offensive mm-hmm. wizard that you want to see in Chicago, he's going to get a chance to look even more brilliant against Sunday, Sunday against the Bears. I wonder, dude, they played them just a few weeks ago. How much of that stuff carries over? Well, what's interesting, you know, I, I was leaving the locker room on Thursday. I was going to head back to the, the media room and, and uh, start typing some things up. And then Jalen Johnson was coming back to the locker room. I said, I want to go talk to Jalen for a minute. So I reversed course. And I talked to him, uh, him a little bit about what they did successfully three weeks ago to make Jared Goff so uncomfortable. And Jalen sort of indicated that that the Lions live – in the soft middle of the field and they're able to find openings there that Jared Goff does a terrific job of, of hitting passes in. And so the bears made it an emphasis to take that away and they did so successfully and Jared Goff threw three interceptions and they were never really in a rhythm until you got to the last four minutes of the game and the bears backed off and in a two minute defense didn't necessarily play the same style of defense that they had been playing going to be really interesting to see if there is the chess match again and, and what adjustments are made on both sides because if that is something that worked for the Bears in game one against the Lions it'll be really interesting to uh, to monitor how much they they do that successfully uh, it's Sunday at Soldier Field that's good insight that's interesting all right so let's get to our predictions bringing in Adam Sadzinski uh, this is one that around town there's momentum growing for the Bears to pull off the upset I think as we sit here this uh before the game, days before the kickoff, they're three-point underdogs. Dave Wanstead picked the Bears to win. There's other people who can see a pathway to victory. Adam, I wonder, are you picking the Bears to beat the Lions? <laughs> I am going to go ahead and pick the Bears again. I think did – did I say last time – I can't remember if I did. It'll be a cold day in hell before I pick the Lions in anything. <laughs> I just I just refuse to do it. And – I, I do legitimately think like the the Bears do have a really good chance in this game, and I there's going to be some some so what I'm looking for here some some carryover from the last time that they played. I think the Lions might be uh, the Lions have every motivation to play better too. So so I don't expect the Bears to dominate the game for 55 minutes like they did last time. But I, I got the Bears winning 27 to 23. Uh, mainly in in I do expect the Bears to be able to score. And not only did they did they do it last time, but the Lions' defense has been leaky, bad. Leaky, it's, yeah, it's been bad. And and you've started to see. I mean, they probably should have lost two out of their last three games. If if you got the Bears game, and then if Derek Carr doesn't get hurt against the Saints, I, who knows what happens in the at the end of that game? I know. So 
So yeah. So anyway, I am picking the Bears, and and I I want to say that that 2018 game that you guys mentioned, the Bears Lions game. Sorry, the Bears Rams game. I went to that game. It's the only game I went to that year. And I was sitting in the, the, I think it was the north end zone. It's the only end zone that any action happened in. It's where the yep. safety was. It's where yep. the Bears' only touchdown was. And it was incredible. It's it may, it's one of the best things I've ever experienced. And it is. The touchdown was opinion, Santa's sleigh, wasn't it? It was. I the, think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To, the, to the offensive lineman whose name I can't remember Bradley right now. Bradley Sowell. That's Bradley it. Soul. Thank you. Wow. And. and uh, so, that's so good, it, anyway, I, I, I bring that up because, you know, you're talking about the defensive performance. Like, I still believe that is the best I've ever seen a Bears defense play. And I wasn't alive in 85, so that doesn't, that doesn't count. I personally have never seen a Bears defense play like that. Like, that was a complete dismantling of the best offense in football. Like, it was unbelievable. So, anyway, I just had to say that. And, uh, yeah, Bears, Bears beating the Lions this weekend. There we go. Good job. That's a good memory, too, because that team – I remember that night, and I remember how they made Jared Goff look, and their offense seemed pedestrian. I know it was cold, but I felt like when I left Soldier Field that night, I wondered, could this team really get to the Super Bowl? I mean, that's how good you thought that defense played. And I know they only scored 15 points, but I thought, could Vic Fangio be that smart where this well, team goes to the Super Bowl? That's it. I mean, there was there was so much talk in that like four or five week span from the defensive players about just how much of a mastermind that Vic Fangio had become for them and in, in, in giving them really simple ways to be very dominant against whoever they played. And so you Indeed. remember, don't forget the the Patriots uh ended up using that exact game plan against the Rams right. in the Super Bowl. I was I was just gonna say that they they right. took the the front that the Bears used and just copy and pasted it and took them apart. So no question. Yeah. So no studs question. picks the Bears, what say you Dan? I agree with studs. I've got Bears oh, 24, go. Lions 23. <laughs> it's now or never time, in my opinion. I think the Bears really, really controlled that football game three weeks ago at Ford Field, and they are well aware of how they let that thing get away and are, are capable of compensating for that. They also get the Lions on a slower track on a colder day outside at their at their field, and I think it's going to be enough for them to 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 pull off an upset and, and and really like I say when it's now or never time this is your chance to put a signature win on the resume it's now or never and so I think they're up to the challenge this weekend I, I like the optimism and both of your logic is sound I I think I still get back to the fact that the Lions haven't played well it's almost like reverse logic so they're gonna they're gonna flip a switch because they know they have to start playing well or else they're gonna be the easiest team to eliminate once the playoffs begin I think they're going to be well coached. They're going to be well prepared and they're going to come in with a little bit more explosiveness than the Bears have. And that's going to be the difference in a close game. 24 20 Lions. I hope I'm wrong. I think there could be a, defense, I think there could be a defensive touchdown um, that would be a big factor in the game. And Uh-oh. if it's the Bears, great. But I, I don't know. There, there's just, it seems like it's going to be one of those games. Um, I hope it is uh entertaining because of the because of the elements in some way because jared goff the first time he blows on his hands i think people are going to say oh see california kid he's soft and then he's going to throw he could throw you the ball so the, if the bears score on defense let me say this 24 20 lions will win if the bears score on defense though they win okay so right. I'm, I'm an asterisk good little twist <laughs> i like it if jalen johnson can catch the pick six this time <laughs> they will win how about that i love right. it good stuff studs um, all right, let's wrap things up with our two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. 
Dan, um, it's easy to overlook the Bears' running game, but I think that could be one of their uh, one of their strengths, and certainly could be part of their method of beating the Lions. Deontay Foreman will be able to play this week. He was a positive update. Is that uh, is that going to happen? Yeah, no question. Uh, They're as healthy as they've been since the season opened, so I would fully expect that. The other part of this is the offensive line, uh, left to right, is going to be intact for the third consecutive game. The Bears have only had the same offensive line start three consecutive games in the Matty Rufloos era once before. It was in the the end of last season, in the, the, the late November, early December chunk of things. And so that continuity up front, with that group now playing better together and playing healthier, should be an advantage for for the Bears' offense as they as they push forward. The uh, score reported on the Parkinson Spiegel show and other outlets followed in confirmation on Wednesday that the Bears have scouted land in the South Lot that they potential as a potential building site for the next football stadium. It's that close to Soldier Field. We know where the South Lot is. I have toured it with George McCaskey. I wonder what George would do uh, in those games, in those cases. But what did you make of, of that report? I looked at it as due diligence and leverage uh, possibilities, Dan. I look at all of these like that at this point, David. I kind of shrug at, at a lot of things until we hear anything with uh, concrete thought behind it I, and, and literally and figuratively, right? Like I think, I think that there are many logistical questions that need to be asked about how you could possibly build a stadium there um, and continue playing at the one you're in simultaneously, you know, and, and like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I, I don't know, like all this stuff is in such an exploratory phase for this team. And the first chance we get to hear from Kevin Warren, when the season ends, he's better make himself available for uh, a long, long time, because I think he's got a lot of questions to answer on a number of topics that are very relevant. Lions injury report included Frank Ragnow uh, limited. Uh, looks like he could be missing another game. What do you think that would have on the effect of their ability to run the ball and protect the passer? No, I mean, it's a, it's a, a deal, you know, and, and I think the Ali McNeil injured reserve uh, move earlier in the week is another one that, that hurts them on the defensive line. And, and so look like the Lions have uh, made their way up the NFL ladder with, with strength in the trenches and particularly on the offensive line. And, and so Ragnow's absence is certainly notable. And finally, you wanted to follow up with some Kevin Warren thoughts because I think that it, it's, a, it's a worthwhile thing to keep an eye on. I think Kevin Warren is somebody whose role in the offseason uh, remains to be determined, is kind of vague, but I think we both sense it's going to be uh, – he's going to be impactful. Mark Gannis uh, from Sports Corps was on the Mullane Haw Show on Thursday morning and said that the first thing Kevin Warren has to do besides some of these stadium questions is fix the football side, and he will be involved in fixing the football side. I thought that was a very strong comment by somebody who's in a position to know and 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 – works in these circles, Mark Gannis. I, I don't think it probably surprised you, Dan, to hear somebody well, like that say that. No, and I'll try to set up a couple quick audio clips for us just so that, that people can hear Kevin's voice on this matter. And these are these are things that were taken from interviews I did with Kevin when I wrote that big profile on him before training camp started. And the last interview I did with him was on June 30th, just to, to timestamp it for everyone. And, and a big center of that conversation was about his oversight of Ryan Poles and what he thought of Ryan and how he was expecting to lead and evaluate Ryan. And so when I tell, tell you on this podcast that I, I am working with my own educated guess assumption that Ryan will still be in that role, it's just a guess 
based primarily on the conversations that Kevin and I had before all this started. This is well before the Bears were four and eight. It was well before they had turmoil inside the building. It was well before the, the season started. But I will let you hear with your own ears some of the things that, that Kevin expressed about Ryan. And then you can hear Kevin's voice and tell me what you interpret. The first uh, clip we'll play is just kind of the 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 sentiments that Kevin had in terms of the strong, immediate bond he had with Ryan as they were setting a vision for the football team. This is the first time I've been in a relationship like this. And I just, I just want to be his, really, his, uh, his, basically, his, his, uh, uh, his sunshine, um, his water, you know, just for his continued growth. Grown, I mean, he's yeah. outstanding. And, 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 you know, every person in their career who has achieved any level of success has had that person at a critical time in their career that was there, that was honest, that was demanding, but that was supportive and truly that you could truly tell. When I, I can honestly say, even though we've worked together for a little, little bit of time, for, we, we've worked together for a relatively short period, but it really started in January because I, we were doing all the transition meetings. But it's one of those ones, kind of how, like with my wife Greta, like, I was able to call my mom after the first date and said, I found my wife. Um, I was able to go home with Greta and tell her after my first meeting with Ryan, I found my work partner. And I've, I've had that uh, really two times in my life in May. And uh, I had it in Coach Vermeil. And, and when, you, when, you, when you have that, that special relationship, you know, that, that you can, I mean, we're, we're businessmen, we're both type A people, you know, we know about accountability and we're going to be judged by the performance on it, but to have someone that you work with. So when people ask me, just like Greta said, she hasn't seen me this happy and, uh, you know, joyful, I'm grateful to have that environment. Ryan and I can talk about anything, deal with any issues, we will not agree on everything, but to have that 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 relationship it, it, it this is this is a really special environment david may who he mentioned there is may davis his executive assistant who he's worked off and on with for 33 years during six different stops in his career journey uh starting with law firms all the way through uh, the big 10 in the nfl and then obviously dick Vermeil, who he considers a, a a mentor uh the last clip we'll play from kevin is just a follow-up was was just asking him about his uh, evaluation of ryan as he went into this with the oversight of the general manager and i think it'll allow you to again hear in kevin's voice the things that he went into this season looking to assess ryan on here here's uh here's that exchange Part of your responsibility with Ryan will be evaluating him as well and performance reviews. In addition to just straight up wins and losses and success, what are the things that, that you kind of put as your barometer for that job? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean the things I, I look at that uh, are, you know, work ethic, organization skills, leadership skills of his department, communication skills, uh, uh, decision-making process, decision-making process under stress, uh, wisdom, vision, foresight, uh, uh, desire to win, passion, you know, commitment to ex excellence, um, and uh, all of those different you know things are important. And, and you know, I think I know one area I can continually help help Brian on 
uh, I mean, just continually be there as a resource is to, he, he's so bright, he's so focused, he's so determined to be successful that he has to make sure that, uh, that he knows that this is truly, this is an ultra marathon, beyond even in marathon. Right. It's an ultra marathon. And he has to do that. So he's going, he needs to make sure he takes care of himself. Yeah. Dan, when was that interview? June 30th. Boy, I tell you, context is everything. And <laughs> if you were to play those comments, and, and, and as this conversation keeps going, we don't want, we'll, we'll get out of here in a moment, but I think, and then we're going to come back to this at some point. When you hear Kevin Warren six months ago talk about being the sunshine and the water, to Ryan Poles' growth as an executive. And then when you hear him in the next breath, and I know this is a longer interview, but in the next breath, talk about him needing to realize this is the ultra marathon. It removes to me any doubt that Ryan Poles is coming back. He's definitely coming back. He's definitely the guy that Kevin Warren made a quick decision and determination that he is the guy that can build the Bears into a Super Bowl champion in his ambitious mind and he's going to help him by doing whatever he asks but whatever he needs to make that happen that's pretty powerful stuff when you hear it six months later when you hear in july it sounds very you know i think what what you think you should hear and what it's boy they've got they've got they get along very well quickly but when you hear it when you're considering all these future things that we're considering it hits a little different the nfl is a weird place things happen relationships for a wild uh, twists and turns that we never saw coming happen. But if you listen to those sentiments and you hear the conviction in Kevin's voice and, and the, the sincerity with which he praises Ryan Poles, if he were to turn around on January 10th and fire Ryan Poles, he would have from me alone 45 questions about how credible his thoughts are on the people that he's leading, right? And, and Dave, out of, it's out of character based on his career. I mean, he's not a, he's not a flip-flopper. Right. In terms of believing in people, not that we know of. You're right. But yeah, you, you, you have a right to have those questions. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought it would be interesting to, to, to play that for our audience and they, they can go from there. So that, you know, look like this is the, this is the storyline for the next five, six weeks. And yep. uh, it gives uh, some valuable subtext, I think. Big picture stuff. We'll zoom in a little tighter on Sundays uh, with uh, the bears and the lions noon at soldier field. We'll be here. Uh, on your free Odyssey app with a post-game podcast reaction to whatever happens on the lake front. We'll be back on Tuesday morning with an episode looking ahead to the next game and the next opponent. Who do they play? <laughs> Cleveland. Uh, I got to go to Cleveland. One, one last tease for readers of uh, my weekly storylines package. One of my favorite storylines of the year will be on ChicagoTribune.com on Friday. There are currently four members of the Chicago Bears uh, team that have college programs in the college football playoff. You have Deontay Foreman and Roshan Johnson representing Texas. You have Eddie Jackson representing Alabama. You have Kyler Gordon representing Washington. And the reason this is fun is because Demarcus Walker represents Florida State. And Demarcus was none too happy with the decision that was made to leave Florida State out of the playoffs, nor the way he got that news, which was from a um, less than friendly call from Eddie Jackson to tell him that Alabama had jumped over Florida Ooh, State. <laughs> that's a good tease. Do they have anybody from Michigan? Nobody from Michigan. from Michigan. No. 
That's going to be really awkward when Harbaugh walks into the room in January. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the Michigan men? All right, I don't so know. That's another pod. All right. That'll wrap it up. That was, that was a good one, um, especially the Kevin Warren stuff. Very interesting stuff. You can get us on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You can watch us on 670 Sports YouTube page. And you'll be back Sunday night for our reaction to the Bears and Lions. For Adam Sudzinski, who picked the Bears again. For Dan Weeder, I'm David Haw from the Mullen Haw Show. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Take the Morning Podcast. Great talk. See you out there.